evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight we continue our story, The Valley of Fear, by Arthur Conan Doyle. Meanwhile, he glanced at his agenda paper. I have one or two more points to bring before the meeting. First of all, I will ask the treasurer as to our bank balance. There's the pension to Jim Carnaway's widow. He was struck down during the work of the lodge, and it is for us to see that she is not the loser. Jim was shot last month when they tried to kill Chester Wilcox of Marley's Creek, McMurdo's neighbor informed him, said the treasurer with the bank book in front of him. The firms have been generous of late. Max Linder and company paid 500 to be left alone. Walker Brothers sent in 100 but I took it on myself to return it and ask for five. If I do not hear by Wednesday, their winding gear may get out of order. We had to burn their breaker last year before they became reasonable. Then the West Section Coaling Company has paid its annual contribution. We have enough on hand to meet any obligation. What about Archie Swindon, asked the brother. He has sold out and left the district. The old devil left a note for us to say that he had rather be a free crossing sweeper in New York than a large mine owner under the power of a ring of blackmailers. By God, it was as well that he made a break for it before the note reached us. I guess he won't show his face in this valley again. An elderly, clean-shaved man with a kindly face and a good brow rose from the end of the table which faced the chairman. Mr. Treasurer, he asked, may I ask who bought the property of this man that we have driven out of the district? Yes, Brother Morris. It has been bought by the State and Merton County Railroad Company. And who bought the mines of Todman and of Lee that came into the market in the same way last year? The same company, Brother Morris. And who bought the ironworks of Manson and of Schumann and of Vanderher and of Atwood, which have all been given up of late? They were all bought by the West Gilmerton General Mining Company. I don't see, Brother Morris, said the chairman, that it matters to us who buys them since they can't carry them out of the district. With all respect to you, eminent body master, I think it may matter very much to us. This process has been going on now for ten long years. We are gradually driving all the small men out of trade. What is the result? We find in their places great companies like the Railroad or the General Iron who have their directors in New York or Philadelphia and care nothing for our threats. We can take it out of their local bosses, but it only means that others will be sent in their stead. And we are making it dangerous for ourselves. The small men could not harm us. They had not the money nor the power. So long as we did not squeeze them into dry, they would stay on under our power. But if these big companies find that we stand between them and their profits, they will spare no pains and no expense to hunt us down and bring us to court. There was a hush at these ominous words, 
and every face darkened as gloomy looks were exchanged. So omnipotent and unchallenged had they been that the very thought that there was possible retribution in the background had been banished from their minds. And yet, the idea struck a chill to the most reckless of them. It is my advice, the speaker continued, that we go easier upon the small men. On the day that they have all been driven out, the power of this society will have been broken. Unwelcome truths are not popular. There were angry cries as the speaker resumed his seat. McGinty rose with gloom upon his brow. Brother Morris, said he, you were always a croaker. So long as the members of this lodge stand together, there is no power in the United States that can touch them. Sure, have we not tried it often enough in the law courts? I expect the big companies will find it easier to pay than to fight, same as the little companies do. And now, brethren, McGinty took off his black velvet cap and his stole as he spoke. This lodge has finished its business for the evening, save for one small matter which may be mentioned when we are parting. The time has now come for fraternal refreshment and for harmony. Strange indeed is human nature. Here were these men to whom murder was familiar, who again and again had struck down the father of the family, some man against whom they had no personal feeling, without one thought of compunction or of compassion for his weeping wife or helpless children. And yet the tender or pathetic in music could move them to tears. McMurdo had a fine tenor voice, and if he had failed to gain the goodwill of the lodge before, it could no longer have been withheld after he thrilled them with I'm sitting on the stile, Mary, and on the banks of Allen Water. In his very first night, the new recruit had made himself one of the most popular of the brethren, marked already for advancement and high office. There were other qualities needed, however, besides those of good fellowship, to make a worthy freeman, and of these he was given an example before the evening was over. The whiskey bottle had passed round many times, and the men were flushed and ripe for mischief when their body master rose once more to address them. Boys, he said, there is one man in this town that wants trimming up, and it's for you to see that he gets it. I'm speaking of James Stanger of the Herald. You've seen how he's been opening his mouth against us again. There was a murmur of assent, with many a muttered oath. McGinty took a slip of paper from his waistcoat pocket. Law and order, that's how he heads it. Reign of terror in the coal and iron district. Twelve years have now elapsed since the first assassinations which proved the existence of a criminal organization in our midst. From that day, these outrages have never ceased. Until now, they have reached a pitch which makes us the opprobrium of this civilized world. Is it for such results as this that our great country welcomes to its bosom the alien who flies from the despositions of Europe? Is it that they shall themselves become tyrants over the very men who have given them shelter? and that a state of terrorism and lawlessness should be established under the very shadow of the sacred folds of the starry flag of freedom, which would raise horror in our minds if we read of it as existing under the most effete monarchy of the East, the men are known. The organization is patent and public. How long are we to endure it? Can we forever live? Sure, I've read enough of this slush. 
cried the chairman, tossing the paper down upon the table. That's what he says of us. The question is, what shall we say to him? Kill him, cried a dozen fierce voices. I protest against that, said Brother Morris, the man of the good brow and shaved face. I tell you, brethren, that our hand is too heavy in this valley, and there will come a point when in self-defense every man will unite to crush us. James Stanger is an old man. He is respected in the township and the district. His paper stands for all that is solid in the valley. If that man is struck down, there will be a stir through this state that will only end with our destruction. And how would they bring about our destruction, Mr. Standback? cried McGinty. Is it by the police? Sure, half of them are in our pay, and half of them are afraid of us. Or is it by the law courts and the judge? Haven't we tried that before now, and whatever came of it? There is a Judge Lynch that might try the case, said Brother Morris. A general shout of anger greeted the suggestion. I have but to raise my finger, cried McGinty. And I could put two hundred men into this town that would clear it out from end to end. Then suddenly raising his voice and bending his huge black brows into a terrible frown. See here, Brother Morris. I have my eye on you and have had for some time. You've no heart yourself and you try to take the heart out of others. It will be an ill day for you, Brother Morris. When your own name comes on our agenda paper, and I'm thinking that it's just there that I ought to place it. Morris had turned deadly pale, and his knees seemed to give way under him as he fell back into his chair. He had raised his glass in his trembling hand and drank before he could answer. I apologize, eminent body master, to you and to every brother in this lodge. If I have said more than I should, I am a faithful member, you all know that, and it is my fear lest evil come to the lodge, which makes me speak in anxious words. But I have greater trust in your judgment than in my own eminent body master. I promise you that I will not offend again. The body master's scowl relaxed as he listened to the humble words. Very good, Brother Morris. It's myself that would be sorry if it were needful to give you a lesson. But so long as I am in this chair, we shall be a united lodge in word and in deed. And now, boys, he continued, looking round at the company, I'll say this much, that if Stanger got his full desserts, there would be more trouble than we need ask for. These editors hang together, and every journal in the state would be crying out for police and troops but I guess you can give him a pretty severe warning. Will you fix it, Brother Baldwin? Sure, said the young man eagerly. How many will you take? Half a dozen and two to guard the door. You'll come, Gower, and you'll Menzel, you, Scanlon, and the two Willoughbys. I promised a new brother he should go, said the chairman. Ted Baldwin looked at McMurdo with eyes which showed that he had not forgotten nor forgiven. Well, he can come if he wants, he said in a surly voice. That's enough. The sooner we get to work, the better. The company broke up with shouts and yells and snatches of drunken song. 
The bar was still crowded with revelers and many of the brethren remained there. The little band that had been told off for duty passed out into the street, proceeding in twos and threes along the sidewalk so as not to provoke attention. It was a bitterly cold night with a half-moon shining brilliantly in a frosty, star-spangled sky. The men stopped and gathered in a yard which faced a high building. The words Vermissa Herald were printed in gold lettering between the brightly lit windows. From within came the clanking of the printing press. Here you, said Baldwin to McMurdo. You can stand below at the door and see that the road is kept open for us. Arthur Willoughby can stay with you. You others come with me. Have no fears, boys, for we have a dozen witnesses that we are in the Union Bar at this very moment. It was nearly midnight, and the street was deserted, save for one or two revelers upon their way home. The party crossed the road, and pushing open the door of the newspaper office, Baldwin and his men rushed in and up the stair which faced them. McMurdo and another remained below. From the room above came a shout, a cry for help, and then the sound of trampling feet and falling chairs. An instant later, a gray-haired man rushed out on the landing. He was seized before he could get farther, and his spectacles came tinkling down to McMurdo's feet. There was a thud and a groan. He was on his face, and half a dozen sticks were clattering together as they, f- as they fell upon He writhed, and his long, thin limbs quivered under the blows. The others ceased at last. But Baldwin, his cruel face set in an infernal smile, was hacking at the man's head, which he vainly endeavored to defend with his arms. His white hair was dabbled with patches of blood. Baldwin was still stooping over his victim, putting in a short, vicious blow whenever he could see a part exposed. When McMurdo dashed up the stair and pushed him back, "'You'll kill the man,' said he. "'Drop it!' Baldwin looked at him in amazement. "'Curse you!' he cried. "'Who are you to interfere? "'You that are new to the lodge, stand back!' He raised his stick, but McMurdo had whipped his pistol out of his pocket. "'Stand back yourself!' he cried. "'I'll blow your face in if you lay a hand on me.' "'As to the lodge, wasn't it the order of the bodymaster "'that the man was not to be killed? "'And what are you doing but killing him?' "'It's truth,' he says.' remarked one of the men. By God, you'd best hurry yourselves, cried the men below. The windows are all lighting up and you'll all have the whole town here inside of five minutes. There was indeed the sound of shouting in the street and a little group of compositors and pressmen were forming in the hall below and nerving itself to action. Leaving the limp and motionless body of the editor at the head of the stair, the criminals rushed down and made their way swiftly along the street. Having reached the Union House, some of them mixed with the crowd in McGinty's saloon, whispering across the bar to the boss that the job had been well carried through. Others, and among them McMurdo, broke away into side streets, and so by devious paths to their own homes. We'll continue the story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature on the show. Send your story suggestions to to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bbjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Music. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>